our success is probably about discipline. Is not being tempted to chase the next new shiny thing that comes over the horizon, but to stay focused on the purpose that we have at the style of our work and sticking with the culture of staying in the marketplace, staying that niche and staying true to the brand values that we had when I joined the business five years ago. They haven't changed. The way that our customers perceive us hasn't changed. Hi, I'm Belden Mankus. Welcome to The Purposeful Strategist. The podcast that shifts the conversation about purpose and strategy from what organizations should do to what business leaders are doing and what they've learned along the way. In this episode, I'm very pleased to welcome back David Hall, now CEO of Paratum Group, which is the holding company of Total Care. David describes how they've been able to maintain their culture and the high level of customer service their strategy is based on, while growing at almost 50% annually. Um, well, David, welcome back to the Purposeful Strategist. Um, I think you were last here with us about 18 months ago, episode 25, so I suspect things have changed a lot with you. I know there was a lot in that episode that was really great, and I recommend everybody go back and listen to that. But just for those who don't have the time now, maybe you could just remind all of us what Total Care does. And, and also, I think you might have had a name change, so maybe just explain what that's been all about. Yeah, so last time when I joined you, it was just Total Care. So Total Care are garage equipment and service provider for commercial vehicle sector. So when I joined just over five years ago, we really had one product in the portfolio, column lifts, and we've now expanded that into really complete solution for commercial vehicle workshops. So any product you need to lift, service, test, maintain, we've got nearly everything in the portfolio. But that was 18 months ago. Things have moved on since then. So we've now had a, a name change of the holding company to Peritum Group Limited. And we've successfully completed two acquisitions, but staying within the commercial garage equipment sector. So we are a niche of a niche. We like playing that way because it keeps us very focused. And the two acquisitions, one last November was a small garage equipment distribution business up in Dundee. So this is always part of our strategy that we would create a division which would focus on servicing the small local regional garage equipment customers that uh, had a requirement for selling commercial products into their customers, but had a problem finding the right equipment, finding the right support. So this company was already doing it, already very successful, but because they had also grown very quickly, they hadn't managed to diversify their portfolio. So bringing them together, plugging them into the back-end services that we had at Total Care and then doing a rebrand, We've enabled them to expand their portfolio and really start to give their customers the service that they wanted to and also fulfill our desires for entering into that marketplace. So that was pretty successful. An interesting journey for the business because it was the first time probably 95%, if not more, of the people in the organization had actually been part of an acquisition on either side. So it was a very steep learning curve. Luckily, I'd been through a couple, so I had a bit of an idea about the pain that we were going to go through. 
And then we did another acquisition just four weeks ago. Oh, wow. Yeah, again, within the same space in terms of commercial carriage equipment, but it was a prefabricated pit manufacturing business. So it's a bit of a mouthful. Fundamentally, if you don't want to lift a vehicle, you can drive over a hole in the ground. Historically, they were fabricated from concrete or brick. The solution now is to basically have a prefabricated steel structure, dig a large hole in the ground, drop the structure in, backfill it with concrete. The advantage of that is it's much faster and you actually get a much better solution because you can have cavities underground where you need to store equipment, you can have lighting, airlines. It's easy to put rails in the top so you can have jacks which would then lift the vehicle from the pit. So a much, much better solution. Again, he's, he's keeping us very busy because we need to scale that business really quickly and we are relocating it much closer to the head office, mainly because we need more skilled people and where the business is currently located, there's a lack of welders, fabricators and people that have the right capability to help us scale that. I know from some of our previous conversations, you're very growth oriented, both I think as a company and as a person, but why does the prefabricated pit business need to be scaled quickly? As Total Care have grown, our customers are now pulling us as fast as we're pushing them. So one of their big desires now is that we can actually do complete workshop fit outs for new builds. We always expected this would happen. <laughs> it was always in the plan that once we had probably around 80% of the product portfolio they needed for a full workshop fit out, that they would actually start to say to us, come on, can you help us do the whole thing and project manage it? We crossed that boundary really in December last year where we did our first complete workshop fit out and the inquiries just keep coming. And as part of that, we need to be able to have prefabricated pits in the portfolio. The market in the UK in terms of potential suppliers and even Europe is very limited. It's a very, very niche thing. One of the potential suppliers was a direct competitor. So we decided that probably wasn't the right strategy to follow. Another supplier could have worked with us, but also works with nearly all of our competitors in terms of the workshop fit out. So we were probably not the right strategic fit and then we found another the small one which we did end up acquiring that had the right quality the right approach to manufacturing but was very small and if we'd given the volume of work that we expect to this one business basically would have taken over their whole business which became the logical thing to do so we spoke with their owner who was already on a, an exit strategy in his own mind and it was a very 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 good fit so he got an exit, we got a business that we could then bring on board and scale. And um, yeah, it's worked quite well so far, lots of work to do. <laughs> Relocating is always a challenge, especially being as it's the first manufacturing part of the whole group. And again, from an experience perspective, the total care business is a trade business, a direct selling trade marketing business. So we've had to bring on knowledge, which is one of the reasons we've been successful in terms of growth is that we're good at identifying what we don't know and finding the right people to join the team with the knowledge. Just to get a flavour of size and everything, if I remember right, you know, you were kind of 50-ish, 60-ish people then. What are you at now? We're pushing 90. 
Yeah. So, you know, the, the growth rate at the moment is very high. So current growth top line is about 45% year on year. Wow. Yeah. Some of that is due to acquisition, but the vast majority is organic. Sure. And then organic growth within the acquired businesses too. So it is a real challenge, a real challenge, and especially because the culture in the organization is really important to us and has been a big cornerstone of the success. You know, we've been people in and been very inclusive and managed to maintain it. The bigger you get, the harder it gets. And now we're also trying to sprinkle some of the total care culture into the acquired businesses while still allowing them to retain their own cultures and identity. So the reverse happens as well, whether we like it or not. So some of their culture gets sprinkled into total care and we all change. We're just being very careful that we keep control and manage that change so that we don't end up diluting the things that made us successful. And we try and pass those across into the other organizations to help them feel part of the team, but still retain their own identity. Mm -hmm. I think I remember last time you were saying that you personally felt really kind of at home in an organization that was maybe 50 to about 200 people because up to about 200 people, you could kind of know everybody individually. So you're, you're halfway there. Yeah, <laughs> I still look at myself in the mirror and say, is that the sweet spot? I still think it is, but I am concerned about the future. I am concerned about crossing that 200 barrier. I am concerned about how it changes the culture. I'm really careful not to make things bureaucratic. And the bigger we get, the harder it gets, of course. But I've spent a lot of time in each of the acquired business making sure that I'm visible, I get to know the people that are there, that I get to understand their culture, and just spend some time just working alongside them and listening and talking and understanding them. And yeah, it's a fear that's approaching faster than I expected, which is nice. You know, it's wonderful that we're being successful. But it's one that I do ponder upon and do consider how is that going to change things? How is that going to change how I approach the business? And will I be the right person, the other side of the 200 barrier, to take this forward? And that's a challenge at the moment that I'm actually quite looking forward to. And I think that is because we have been successful today to maintaining the culture. But who knows what tomorrow brings? David, my sense is part of what drives you is creating cultures and environments where people can grow. Absolutely. Yeah. And it would be a shame if the one person who wasn't, you know, kind of feeling this is a culture where I can grow was the CEO. That'd be really kind of silly in some ways. It definitely would be. My role keeps changing in a positive way. I'm really lucky that I've managed to build a great team around me that are absolutely thriving. You know, the latest promotion we made was a young lady. She's been promoted to be our operations director. She joined us when she was 18 and has risen right the way through the ranks. And we needed somebody in that position. And we thought long and hard. The easy option would be to go to market, bring in an experienced person, add to the team. But when I looked at what was out there, I looked at the possibilities, and then I looked at this individual, the opportunity to give this person that opportunity and help them along their journey, the team thought we'd get a better result. So we actually put a lot of time and effort 
into the transition plan. I actually found, I think, 10 coaches for her to select from. So she did some one-on-one coaching pre, during, and post. She joined another group of women, support group, who over a year meet on a regular basis. And again, that was helping her to build an external network of advisors. So she had some other people to lean on with other experiences in similar situations and then from formal training as well, some traditional leadership training and management training. So we really invested heavily in her development because it just was wonderful to be able to see somebody flourish within the organization. But the message to everybody is we're here to develop this team. We're here to support you, to promote you. And that has actually now led on to us currently developing a concept for a management academy. So our plan is to launch that in spring next year. To be able to fund this properly, we want to bring in some good external people. We're actually working with another business. So I think we're going to have four people from ours, four people from the other organization, and really pick up some junior managers, supervisors with ambition and talent and put them on a year-long program in teams. And again, it gives people the opportunity to look inside another organization, which is fantastic because you can bring ideas back. You can give them ideas. That sharing of knowledge is just a wonderful thing. And that sort of intercompany networking is something I'm trying to develop as well as much as possible. It does strike me that you and some of the other businesses I suspect you're connected to are really great examples of innovative, growing engineering, you know, kind of physical product-based British businesses. I just think it's fantastic. So you might agree or disagree with this, but my recollection is that around the purpose, it kind of came from you. It was very driven by things that you thought were important. You needed to make sure you met the shareholders' needs. You wanted to have a particular kind of culture, but it sort of came from, from you but when it came to the strategy, it was very much you, your team, the shareholders, a much more inclusive approach. Just curious if the purpose has changed, if the strategy's changed, if it's changed, how's it changed? Okay. So in terms of the overall strategy, if I blew the dust off the plan from five years ago, we would actually be a long way along that journey, which is actually quite satisfying that you know we sat down we discussed the opportunities. We put some stakes in the ground. We've actually followed the path. You know, one of the things that's really has been challenging, really, over the past two years, more than anything else, in terms of delivering strategy, is that the number of opportunities that now get thrust in our direction seems to increase exponentially over time. So I'm now finding that I'm saying no to lots and lots of opportunities because we are trying to stay true to the strategy. At the same time, in terms of the strategy review, we try and review what we're doing every year and every two years in a little bit more depth, and we're just not changing it. The strategy is the strategy, and that is really to be the best commercial garage equipment company. And we are delivering. The shareholders, the other board members, the team, everybody has an input. I'm still going around the whole organization quarterly, and we talk about the strategy. We talk about how we're actually delivering on the ideas and what's next. And the what's next is really important as well because we need to share with people the change that's going to come. In a high-growth business, 
change is constant. We're now in that growth mindset. We've, we have an organization which believes in growth. And that's taken quite a long time to actually instill because just as we were getting there, COVID hit, everything stopped. And it took us probably 18 months from the start of 2021 to really get everybody back on board, back in the place where they believed this could happen. And now it's snowballing. We said we were going to do acquisitions. We've delivered to acquisitions. We said we were going to start doing a little bit of manufacturing and acquiring some of our supply chain. That's starting to happen. So the more that we deliver, the more the people believe, the more they believe, the more they deliver. And it's turning into a fantastic upward spiral. Hardest thing we have to do is control the growth because cash isn't limitless, unfortunately. And growth really, really does suck cash. Yeah. yeah. Is that a constraint you're happy to live with? Is like, great, actually that enforces some discipline and focus or is it no actually would love to take on more equity debt whatever would love to have more cash we could grow faster it's a fine line at the end of the day i have to be able to put my head on the pillow and sleep at night i don't want to have a level of financial pressure which keeps me up at the moment we've got a good balance we have good backers we are being sensible in terms of how we're approaching the business there's no point growing and going off like a firework and then coming back down to earth. You know, the steps that we're taking need to be on firm foundations. And really, you know, the first couple of years when I joined the business, we put together a really good structural foundation, which for me probably is, is good for at least another five to 10 years. But that's in terms of IT and systems and, and the back end of the business is actually changing very little because we put the right things in place with the idea that we were going to go on this big growth journey. The first step of our sort of three-step plan is, is nearly complete in terms of fulfilling the portfolio. I say that, but every time we think we're nearly there, somebody goes, oh, we could do this as well. Our customers need these. But we are really on the periphery now rather than in the core of the portfolio expansion. And the next big part of the exciting journey is... One thing we said we were going to do five years ago, and that's to take the business internationally, which is coming towards us quite quickly now. It was something on a very, very distant horizon, but now it's actually crystallizing into real plans. Are you anticipating you're going to do that by acquiring at least a toehold somewhere, or is it now we're going to start from the ground? The probability is to go and acquire a business that has a foothold in a territory that has a similar approach and culture that we can take our blueprint and drop in, transform, and go national in each market. And again, we're probably looking for a regional business rather than a national business, especially the first time. So when you say regional, smaller than national or more than one country? So in most markets in our industry, garage equipment operators tend to be regional rather than national. But having that regional opportunity initially, it's a lower cost entry, it's a lower risk entry, and it means that we can get the systems right and get the business right before we go national in each market. Really being cautious, but also trying to make sure we resource it correctly, because this is the highest risk thing we'll ever do, is take that first step outside of our shores. Yeah, yeah. I guess one of the things I'd love to touch on is the whole question of coming back into the office. My sense is that's for a lot of organizations, been an issue, often raises questions of 
how much freedom do you give people? How collaborative is the decision-making around that? So just curious how you've been addressing that. We've actually done a complete U-turn, really, I suppose. Um, the norm now for us is full-time in the office. So we are back pretty much to how we were pre-COVID. The big difference is that we say, if you want to work from home, you can work from home. But it has to be for a reason, for a choice. We need people together to collaborate. We need people together to share ideas. We need people together, especially being a service organization, because the number of things that you can overhear and share and interject and add to conversation cannot be achieved remotely. It's just not possible to do it. Most people are in the office five days just as before, and they will work from home occasionally if they have a project to complete, they need some quiet time to make some outbound calls. We've also, because we've been growing quickly, been quite conscious to recruit locally. So we've made sure wherever possible, if we could bring somebody in who is literally within 20 minutes travel from the office, it's been ideal because then where's the incentive to work from home? The office is a nice environment. It's heated. It's air-conditioned in the summer. We look after people. We try to make it a pleasant place to come, and we try to make it more attractive to be here than to be at home. We've also had lots of conversations with the team about how working from home works with them and their own mental health, and being around people makes them feel better. Having interaction with people helps their state of mind. So, again, by having everybody in, you create the culture again you create the feeling of team and it's been relatively painless we've lost one person because of saying we want to be back in the office which actually i'm quite proud of because people are doing it voluntarily they're happy to come back as a management team we every six months reviewed the policy right the way through from the very beginning and that was done consultatively so they would go and have a conversation with their teams. How are people feeling? What's going on in the outside world? We'd all come back together. And I would listen. What's the mood? What do people want? What's going well? What's not going well? It was probably nearly a year ago now we said, actually, it's probably time we just say, right, let's get back in the office. Let's work as a team and collaborate a lot more. And it's been really successful. Have you found in doing that that, your, you know, your customers, your clients are also in their own businesses sort of getting back together or do you sort of seem like a bit of an outlier? I think perhaps we are being influenced by our market. You know, our customers are commercial equipment workshops where people have to be in. There is no choice. If you're maintaining a truck or a bus, you've got to be under the truck or the bus. You can't do it at home. It's impossible. You know, our field-based engineers have to go out and touch the equipment. They can't do that from home. The people in our warehouse have to be in the warehouse. So there was a lot of demand. Management from our customers are working more flexibly, but in general, they're back in their offices more than out of their offices. So potentially a culture of the industry that we're in that's driving our approach. But yeah, from a service perspective and from a customer experience perspective, it just creates, in my mind, in my opinion, a much better solution. Yeah, and I've been very focused on customer experience for the last 12 months in terms of how we drive the business forward. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You mentioned moving one of the acquisitions sort of closer to you. 
and you talked about looking to hire locally. Are you finding the skills you need and the depth you need locally? Yeah. I mean, that's one of the choices of where we were relocating. The idea was to relocate close to the labor market. So we're lucky in the black country. It's still a relatively industrial area. There are still lots of steel stockholders, lots of fabricators, lots of laser cutting businesses. So there are lots of skilled people and good suppliers in the area. And strangely, the business that we've acquired was bringing most of their materials and most of their supplies from the area that we're moving them into. Literally one of their suppliers will be a one minute drive away. Unusually, we had a a large supplier of ours who were thinking of reshoring and changing their strategy and eventually actually decided against it. Given what's been going on globally, Ukraine, China, etc., etc., are you seeing businesses, you know, relocating their manufacturing back to the UK, you know, in a way that would, would disturb what you're doing? Are you finding more competition for the skills or... <sighs> There is a lot of geopolitical things going on in the world, which could take 15 hours for us to talk through. The global economy in terms of where things are manufactured is a very, very slow, long process. The part that we're focused on and the the things that have potentially come back are the more agile businesses, potentially more customized, lower volume, where being able to react quickly to local demands is really important and and is a differentiator so it's about choosing the right location for manufacturing to suit the customer's needs really and to suit the market needs the things that we're trying to manufacture lead times would be too long be too expensive so it just makes sense to do it locally yeah um what do you see ahead for strategy it sounds like carry on still the same carry on carry on yeah things aren't changing much because it's working. I do spend more of my time looking into the distance and looking out on the horizon for what could go wrong, which is always important, Um, especially when the business is growing at such a rate, you always think, yeah, when can a wheel come off? What's going to go wrong? How can we avoid issues in the future? But the strategy and the purpose probably doubled down on even more than before. So even more focused than we were on the purpose of the business being the best commercial carriage equipment company. We're even more focused now on the service of our customers. We're even more focused on the quality that we give when we get there. We're even more focused on making sure that if our customer does have a breakdown, that we get there when we say we're going to be there. And when we get there, we fix it first time. It's a differentiator for us, but it's, it's also part of the whole experience of working with us and being part of the team getting things done, getting them quickly, getting them right first time. It would be so tempting to say, oh, we'll just add this product and this product and this product because a couple of customers want them, but we're actually quite strict on ourselves to restrict what we sell so that we can train people to the right level, we can resource it correctly, and we can carry the right specs on the van and we can replenish them correctly. You know, our success is probably about discipline, is not being tempted to chase the next new shiny thing that comes over the horizon but to stay focused on the purpose that we have at the style of our work and sticking with the culture of staying in the marketplace staying that niche and staying true to the brand values that we had when i joined the business five years ago they haven't changed the way that our customers perceive us hasn't changed 
David, it does sound a little bit like your competitors aren't trying to beat you at the sort of customer service, fix it the first time kind of game. They're, I don't know what they're doing, but it doesn't sound like that's what they're doing. A lot of them chase us on price, but luckily our customers value service. That's the differentiator. It's really hard. You know, we've worked for a long time to create the organization and scale it to the size that it is. Um, and we've reached this sort of critical mass now. It's actually quite hard to attack us. Somebody's got to have some very deep pockets and put some serious resource in to offer a competitive service in terms of service and support. So <clears throat> the investment we've made over time is really now starting to pay dividends and, and gives us an even stronger platform to defend ourselves from. Mm, mm, yeah. Um, over the last 18 months or so, and I'm sure you've learned millions of things, but is there any one thing you might point to to say, yeah, that was a bit surprising? Um, acquiring small businesses is really tough. owner operators are very hard to deal with the thing i've learned personally over the last 18 months is really trusting and really letting go of things you say you've delegated something to somebody and giving up some responsibility actually really letting it go because if i hadn't i probably would have had a nervous breakdown i'd be so busy i'll be working 24 hours a day but I can honestly say I work the same amount of hours now that I did five and a half years ago. I still have a weekend. I'm still disciplined in terms of having downtime. And that's really tough to do in a business which is growing so fast. It would be so easy for me to work into weekends and mornings. So, yeah, learn to stay disciplined and learn to genuinely, absolutely dedicate responsibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I assume maybe I'm wrong, that every now and then that goes wrong. You thought, you know, yeah, they've been trained, they know what they're doing, I trust them, I'm going to delegate it. How do you deal with that? Try and help them to look at it as a learning experience. You can't jump back in and take control. That's the worst thing possible, in my opinion, because you're just going to completely undermine them. Um, It's being there as a consultant and really making people feel like you are still there as a consultant. It's okay to come and Talk to me about things. It's okay to come and discuss things. It's, use me as a sounding board. Uh, I've been there. I had responsibility. But things are always changing. So how I did things 18 months ago is probably not the right way to do it now because things are continually reinventing. Yeah, it, it's just to show trust, to show faith, and never undermine. Mm-hmm. What haven't we talked about that we ought to touch on? What haven't I asked you about? Yeah, for me, the challenge I see ahead is the one you touched on earlier. How do we deal and how do I deal with the business changing as we grow and we grow? The 100 number in terms of number of employees is coming up fast. Today, I still feel comfortable that it's not going to really change things. 150 will come soon after that. I'm terrible with names already, so I have to do little tricks and prompts for myself. That's going to start to be a challenge. And then how do I square that off with myself when it reaches 200 and don't know who everybody is? I have that challenge on the horizon and I don't know how I'm going to cope with it. I know I will. I know I'll have to change. I'll have to reappraise how I look at things. I've just got to make sure that I'm still enjoying it and it doesn't take away who I am, take away my desire for growth to keep pushing, keep driving. The business isn't me. I'm part of the business. But I know that if I take me away 
or I change, that may have a detrimental effect. I need to make sure that I don't damage the business. You know, it is a wonderful place to work. That sounds quite a bold statement, but I walk into other businesses and I just think, oh, people aren't bright and bubbly. And then I come back home effectively and it's wonderful. And I get such a buzz when I see the faces of visitors when they come into the business, when they see people and the way that they're welcomed. And it's natural. It's Nothing's forced. It's just how we are. And when they leave, nearly everybody says, everybody's so happy, it's bubbly, you can feel the enthusiasm and the buzz. It's brilliant. And that's nearly every visitor that I have comments on their experience just being in the building. And I just need to absolutely keep hold of that little magic thing that we've created because it is absolutely critical to the success and critical to how I'd like the organisation to be. One of the key words I remember from our first interview was fun. Yeah, it's fun. We still have the Ministry of Fun. It's still going. Very good. (laughs) And it's actually now doing more than ever. The growth in the last 18 months has really enabled us to share more and increase that budget effectively so that we can all have lots of good times together. Yeah, good. Good. For me, it's been really great to hear how things have been going. Also to hear, and this for somebody who makes his living largely helping people redo their strategy, it's been great to hear that the strategy's just, it's kind of working. We just got to stay focused and do what we need to do and keep chasing being the best. I just think that's really great. You don't need to change if it's working. Mm, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just be careful that it keeps working. Yes. Yeah, that's the that's the key thing. That is the key thing. I'm going to ask that we might catch up again in, I don't know, a year, 18 months and see how it's going. At some point, if we keep doing this, we'll do the episode where you're on the far side of 200 and you can explain <laughs> how I managed to deal with it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Maybe that's one year or two years away. Who knows how quick it's going to come around. But yeah, it would be good to catch up again, especially if we had just crossed that next bridge. And we are either on the cusp or are just on the other side of doing our first international acquisition. That will be a little bit of a story to tell how we get there and whether it's a success or not, which is going to be the really interesting thing. Mm. Yeah. Well, again, thank you for joining us. Thank you for sharing. And I will look forward to chapter three. Take care, David. Thank you. Bye bye. All right, Alden. Nice to speak to you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Purposeful Strategist. Please email any questions or suggestions to belden at mancus.com. In addition to being available on our website, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you enjoyed this episode, we release a new episode weekly. Don't forget to subscribe. Thanks again, and join us soon for the next episode of The Purposeful Strategist.